0: Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. Yes, Father, you are the Potter; we are the clay. And never let us forget it, Lord. We are just clay. And even this evening we surrender ourselves into that almighty hands. Through the ministry of the word, shape us, shape our thinking. For as a man thinketh, so he is. Shape the way we think. so that we can make informed choices according to your word, according to your will for each one of us, Lord. So this evening we just surrender, Lord. Speak to us. Let the entrance of your word bring even more light into our lives. Those areas which are still dark, clear it out, Lord, with the light of your word. Speak, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember at least some of the things we've been looking at over the weeks? Children are a little scared. It's good to be scared in classrooms because immediately their hands go like this. (laughs) I am there. I am listening. Please don't ask me questions. But do we remember the things? Whether mind goes, the body Follows, okay? So, the world wants our mind, the devil wants our mind, God wants our mind. Whoever has your mind ultimately has your body. If God has to have your and my mind, then He calls us to a life of faith. It's a journey. A life of faith. And the end of that journey is the last dance of the song where we sang, Christ is all. Okay? It's a life of faith. And no other life pleases God without faith. It is impossible to please God by faith and faith alone. And we also know faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. That's the reason we come to study the word of God so that faith will come, faith in this God. Remember in the, in the past days we said uh the elt people will be able to tell you better that we when we when we receive something there are four things we call it in english elt we call it lsrw or listening speaking reading and writing i want you to look at this slide okay This two, listening, this is the order in which we actually learn listening, speaking, reading, and writing where this is the final skill. It should be in that order for it to naturally progress. But these two come together. These two come together. Though the order is like this, these two come together. Listening and reading come together. Speaking and writing come together. Depending upon how you listen, and read or read will define how you speak and how you write okay please remember okay that's why reading is so important because reading will define how you speak or how you write listening will define how you speak or how you write even taking it very narrowly in the skills which we need in the classroom this also could be put together and we call what you all love, which is called watching. It's not a fifth skill as such, but watching also comes over there because when you're watching something, you are listening, you are looking, and you're reading, you're interpreting scene by scene, frame by frame. So a lot of faculties are involved in this. Okay, remember. So remember, listen carefully and read. Now let me tell you, Speaking or writing, okay, can be non-verbal, yet can be read. You can listen or read without a word being uttered, because the actions spoke. I'll show you an example in First Kings chapter 19 and verse 19. We have it. So he departed from there and from Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and before him, and he was with twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Elijah doesn't speak a word. Doesn't speak a word. He's a young man with twelve yoke of oxen. He is plowing. Elijah comes, takes his mantle, puts on his shoulder. Did he speak? But in his very action, there was incredible message. And Elisha got it. He said, shall I go say goodbye to my dad and mom? Okay, so understand. When we talk about speaking and writing, it can be non-verbal. Like you did something terrible and you are called to the principal's office. You enter the principal's office. You take a look at his face. And you read the writing on the wall. He hasn't spoken a word. But from his face, you immediately realize there is no mercy here. Okay? Understand. Understand how we perceive things. Okay? That's how you need to read scripture. So that we don't miss what God is trying to say. And like I said, this is one of the most Powerful speeches without a spoken word that would change the course of Israel's history for years to come. Okay, That's why we always tell you, be dressed properly. Because dressing is a statement. Dressing is a... Let me tell this once again, okay? Let me tell this once again. Sounds a little tough, but this is something that is true. There are two words in English called, one is called chastity, the other is called modesty. You can lose your chastity by accident, by force, by choice, different ways. But you can lose your modesty only by choice. Can lose your modesty only by choice. And people don't realize sometimes it is more dangerous to lose your modesty than to lose your chastity. Because you are making a statement in the way you dress. Okay, so get these things clearly. What is communication? Because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Their word means God communicates to mankind through His Son, Jesus. He is the communication of the Father. Without Jesus, we never understand the Father. If we understand Jesus, we understand Father. Communication, understand, verbal and non-verbal. So faith is lived in action which speaks. Faith speaks. And faith which does not have action corresponding works is dead. So ultimately scripture shows us from Romans 14 and verse 23, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Meaning suddenly you realize every act of life is communicating either faith or unbelief. Even you're eating, you're drinking. Your dressing, your words, your studies, the way you study, the way you sit, the way you sit, okay, the way you sit. When uh, children were small, we were all small. Girls were always told to sit properly, knees together, skirt down, sit properly. If you read um, *Tom Sawyer*, when Tom Sawyer dresses like a girl. And comes, how is he caught by that lady? He dressed like a girl in a skirt, but how is he caught? He's caught when she throws something. When she throws something, you know, boys and girls do it differently. If you're trying to catch something, the boys will put their legs together. The girls will separate and hold it in their skirt. That's how she caught him. And it is communication. You can be dressed like a girl, in a skirt, everything. But inside, either you are a boy or a girl. And you will react normally according to your agenda. Communication. Remember these things, okay? In a life of faith, there are actions that should correspond to faith. Therefore, to live by faith is a choice. It's a choice. The choice to live by faith itself is a choice. Right now for many, choice is being made because you are minors. Or even if you are not a minor, you live off somebody who told you. Like for me, when I came back, when, I, when my parents dropped me in India at the age of 12 all the way till I grew up, till I believed. It's interesting, okay? Till I believed. Till I believed. Meaning all the days when I did not believe, I went to church regularly. Why? Because I was just told, you need to go to church. It's as simple as that. Your father told you, you need to go to church. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. He's the one who pays your fees. He's the one who puts food on your table. He's the one who puts clothes on your back. He said, go, you go. Then I believed. When I believed, I did not go to church. I went for the Bible studies. Because the church was dead. And I didn't have a church for years until I came to Hyderabad. Because every church I went, I found it was dead. There was no life there. Okay, so you need to understand, okay, some of you are here not because of your own choice. A day will come when you will have to choose. And when that day comes, your choices will ultimately define who you become, where you end. So faith is a choice which we make every day. But not like the world thinks, it is not an uninformed choice. Like the educated ones from the universities and colleges, look at Christians, believers as being illiterate, uninformed. Faith is not an uninformed choice. See, if you divide people into groups, large groups, we can divide people into three groups. Believers. Okay, I want to put all of you as believers. Then there is a second group called the religious. And the third group called the atheists. They may be the smaller group, but they're very powerful group because they control. They control the system. They control the media. They control the universities. They control parliaments. Romba, they are. Small, but very powerful believers, religious, and the atheists. But if you take these three groups, what is common about these three groups? Let us say, Emi, not Emi, Emi is Emi, right? Emi, Praveena, Niharika, right? Emi is an atheist pravina is a believer and she is religious what is common about all three of them they all go for the same education in the same school have you noticed the atheist the religious and the believer goes to the same school the education are your textbooks different amy what are you believer okay your textbook is this or oh, what are you religious your textbook no what you study is the same it is the same what we call atheistic secular Education. Everybody goes to the same system. So our thinking in so many ways is similar. You have a label believer, you have a label religious, you have a label atheist, but the thinking is the same because the thinking is being framed from 12 years, 15 years, 17 years of secular atheistic education understand that. And we struggle with faith. Believers struggle with faith because we have been taught everything has to be factual. The why and the where and the how and the what. Faith sometimes it doesn't work like that. And this is not our struggle. This is the struggle of everybody in the Bible from the beginning, after the fall. Because they see nature is governed by certain rules, which science tries to understand and harness. But when you are faced with a problem, we try to be scientific. Atheism that uses science begins with the assumption there is no God. Faith begins not with an assumption, but with the assertion that God created everything. And one of the major causes of unbelief in the believer is that he tries to think scientifically when God speaks to him. In Genesis chapter 15, let's look at the father of believers. Okay? God is speaking to him. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. First science will say there is nothing like vision. If you go try to tell your science teacher about your vision, he will tell. (laughs) That is just a dream, forget it. It's from your subconscious mind. Maybe you ate something, we did not digest well. And that was the final memory which you had. They will throw a psychoanalysis on you and give you an interpretation which has got nothing to do with God. Had a vision. Saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Okay. God comes and speaks to Abraham. Abraham's response is absolutely scientific. He's saying, I understand what you're saying, but what's the point? What am I going to do with all this? Because when I look at it scientifically, I have no children. I have no children. I have no children. Verse 3, Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one in my house is my heir. He's thinking very very naturally. You can use different words. Science, logic, sight, reasoning, natural ways in which we think. That's how all we think. He's an old man now at this age, he's almost 75, 80 years old. At the age when God comes and says, I am your great reward, he's saying, what's the point at 80 being rewarded? If I had a son, I could understand it. This fellow who followed me is going to take everything. So he's not even excited by anything God says because he is thinking the way the world thinks. In verses 4 and 5, God's response is very unscientific. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your dissonance be. It's a very unscientific response. God brings him out, makes him look at the stars, and he says, You know, old man, in of days, speaking to the old man, okay, this is how your children will be like Can you imagine the faith the the mind of that poor old man? And scripture says in verse six, Abraham believed. Abraham believed. Now he's not going by reason, by logic. By scientific knowledge he has about himself, about his wife and how pregnancy works. And procreation takes place. All that and also looking at 80 at the maximum I can have a child. Are you going to tell me one child will end up like this? is not doing combination permutation, Nothing. What God is saying doesn't fit in with your normal thinking at all. It defies everything you have learned at school. But scripture says he believed. And that belief is counted as righteousness. Okay, Not when everything is A is equal to B, B is equal to every question is right and you believe God says. That's not faith. Much of our struggles are trying to reconcile the words of God with our thinking which is logical or scientific. In Numbers 32, other instances, Numbers 32. This is God speaking to the next generation through Moses. Why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. First generation got absolutely discouraged after two years. Why were they discouraged? They were discouraged because of their thinking. Their thinking was Egyptian or worldly. They think, thought the way the world thinks like everybody thinks. In Numbers 13 verses 27 to 33, yes. Then they told him, remember these are the 12 spies who came back and this is the report. They told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, very large. Moreover, we saw the dissonance of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And verse 32. But the men who had gone up with them said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours in inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw giants, the descendants of Anna came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. Every word they spoke, except for the little exaggeration at the end, every word they spoke, reasonably, logically, according to the knowledge of the world, scientifically speaking, was absolutely true. Absolutely true. When you fight a battle, strength matters. When you want to overcome... Cities and fortifications matters. What they were saying, actually look at it. They were saying, there is no way we can take the land. One, they are stronger than theirs. They are numerous than theirs. The cities are fortified. More, you cannot come in through any side. The plains are occupied. The sea is occupied. The mountains are occupied. There is no way we can get these people. Everything the trees say is true. And when we look at ourselves, who are we? Just nomads, ex-slaves, wandering for two years. Never a fighting unit. Never trained to fight. Always been trained and whipped to keep quiet and never rebel. How are we going to do this? That scripture calls it a bad report. You see our thinking. Our thinking is ultimate. And everything they say is actually true if you speak according to the science of war of the science of war of those days everything they say is true but scripture says this in second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 scripture says my people we walk by faith and not by sight you cannot walk by sight if you walk by sight and bring a report of sight it is a bad report so you see these people are dealing with scientific facts which is called sight Versus faith, which is what God speaks. And that's everybody's struggle here. Everybody's struggle over here. Everybody, all of us struggle this at every point in our life. That's also why debates like creation versus evolution usually never works. Because they are based on absolutely, totally opposing premises. Creation is based on the fact God created everything. Evolution is based on the fact or premise there is no God. So how do you debate? If you have to debate something, you need to have one common point. So the question is, how do you debate with a believer, with a religious, and an atheist, the three groups of people? The believer, the religious, different religions, and the atheist. How can you debate with these three groups? Is there a common point? Is there any common point where these three can come and have a conversation? There is only one common point. You know what? It is called death. Absolute common point. The religious, the believer and the atheist knows he will die one day. You ask the atheist, what is your hope? He has nothing to offer. You ask the religious, he is totally confused. Many births, no births, many pillars, five pillars. He has no real hope because his hope is in himself. On the other hand, if you ask the believer, the man of faith, the woman of faith, he has hope and he's very sure about his hope. Then the question you ask, the atheist asks is that, what if you are wrong? What if I am wrong? Let us say for 10 years, I taught you, I taught you, follow God, follow God, believe, follow God, make these choices. And ultimately, one day you die and realize there is no God. What do you lose? Nothing. What do you lose? Nothing. On the other hand, I am right. And you fought me in your mind, fought me in your mind, fought me in your mind. Sat there, listened, wrote notes and was the atheist. And then you die. You lose everything. So you realize you have everything to gain, nothing to lose. In English we say, heads I win, tails you lose. But as believers remember you cannot walk two roads at the same time. You cannot walk by faith and think scientifically. You will fall apart. That's where Romans 1 and verse 17 says there is a walk of faith. And that is where the righteousness of God is revealed. It is from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. By faith. You cannot have two kinds of thinking. Either you think faith or you think sight. You cannot try both. Where faith and sight agrees, you receive it. Where it doesn't agree, you choose faith. Always over and above sight where it disagrees. The second issue with faith is this. You cannot make a choice of faith. Make a choice of faith. And then do the work of sight and expect the result of faith. Did you get it? You make a choice of faith but do the work of sight or scientific work but you expect a result that comes only by faith. Let's look at a very familiar example in First Samuel chapter 17. This is David before King Saul. Yes, young ones. Okay, Remember. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came, took a lamb out of the flock. I went out after it, struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck and killed it. Yes. Your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He gives such an impassioned speech on faith. Entire speech on his own faith on God. The faithfulness of God, the promises of God, and the previous actions of God in his life. Listening to that speech, some faith which was there in King Saul came to the front. He was moved by this young man's faith. So what did he say? Go. God be with you. And then he said, so Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor, tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Did you see his solution? You see his solution? David is making a declaration of faith and he's going to act out on faith and Saul puts a very scientific solution to this issue. If you're going to fight a man, this is how you should fight. Should I have a helmet? Should I have an armor? You should have a sword. David said, David is a smart young man. He's saying, you know what? Faith and this doesn't tally. It's not working. You see, Saul's back is against the wall. He's desperate. Very desperate. Goliath is very smart. The Philistines are very smart and the people in the world are very smart. You need to understand that. They are very smart. They are smarter than us. You can never defeat the world with smartness because they are smarter than us because they have the wisdom of the serpent. The only way you can defeat the world is by faith and faith alone. Never try to outsmart them. You cannot. Because they have the wisdom of the serpent. What we have is the wisdom of Christ which will outsmart the serpent at every turn. The problem the church fails and the problem the people in the church are so unsuccessful is because they are trying to outsmart the serpent with the wisdom of the serpent. God says it never works. It has never worked. It never works. What we have instead is the wisdom of God. And that comes by faith. So he says it does not work. David is very, Goliath is very smart. He realizes, you know what, these guys are absolutely fearful. We can fight them, we can thrash them, and we can take over. But why kill people? Not our theirs. In the battle, ultimately, some of us will die. There's no need for anybody to die. Let's do it shortly. You send one man, I will fight him. I'll fight him. One-on-one fight, I will win. You shall be my slaves. David's faith, Saul's ways will not bring God's result. This is the same mistake we too make. We hear words of faith. Our emotions are all touched. Mind is still thinking the old scientific way. And if we go to battle, if David had gone to battle like this, that would have been the end of David. And the beginning of the Philistine occupation of Israel. Understand that. You cannot fight. God's battles. In man's ways. It will not work. A lot of parents try. And try. And try. And try. And ultimately one day look back and think. Why is my child not succeeding? The reason is, you thought, these are the ways in which we need to succeed God, with God, and God says, it does not work. Everybody, Abraham all went through this. Look at another issue in Abraham's life, in Genesis 17 and verses 15 to 18. God is speaking to Abraham. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Mother! Not princess anymore, what shall be her name? Mother! sarah and i will bless her and also give you a son by her then i will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations kings of people shall be from her and abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old and shall sarah who's 90 years old bear a child abraham said to god oh that ishmael might live before you god is speaking to abraham abraham is absolutely medically scientifically correct in his response He's saying, I'm 100. I am? 100. And Sarah is? (laughs) She's been in menopause for the past 40 years. Lord, do you understand biology, Lord? Absolutely scientific in his thinking. But Lord, I understand your promise. It's not that I, I don't believe you. I do believe you. You want a result? Shall we do it my way? Can we do it my way? You take the credit, it's fine. I have no issues with that. But can we do it my way? Ishmael will be for you? You need to realize throughout the Bible, this struggle is peculiar only to believers. Believers struggle with unbelief. Unbelievers do not struggle with unbelief. They walk and live in it. Only believers struggle with unbelief. Unbelievers don't struggle with unbelief. Darkness doesn't struggle with darkness. Those who are learning to walk in light constantly struggle with the darkness they discover inside themselves. Okay. So understand how it works. How is what are our struggles in this walk with faith? Because you are all educated children, and that's why the poor receive the gospel just like that. That's why the gospel is for the poor because they don't struggle so much like the educated ones. Another struggle. I don't. I want to say the third struggle. Another struggle of the believer. Okay. Another struggle of the believer is this, in his walk of faith, is connected with the result. Often, we have a preconceived, let us say, scientific result in our mind. To our prayers, we have already According to the world that has framed us, the thinking that has framed us, even when we pray to God, ask the living God for something, we already have a way the result should come or what the result should be. It's like, like Naman. Naman goes and he goes. Eli- Elisha doesn't even come. He says, tell him to go dip himself in seven times in the river Jordan. But Naman already has a pattern in his mind. What is his pattern? The prophet will come out. He will wave his hand like this. See, the problem is we have preconceived results and the ways God works results in our mind so that when the result is staring in our face, we don't recognize it because we do not understand the ways of God. When we have a problem, all of us have faith, at least little faith. And we pray. Everyone prays. Don't tell me you don't pray. Everyone prays. But the problem is, when you see the answer to our prayer, do we recognize the answer? Because the answer is not according to our scientific or according to our college education. Let's look at another example from the same portion. First Samuel. The Philistine drew near, presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Who is this? Goliath. Forty days, morning and evening, he will come and challenge. Who will fight me? Send a champion. They are trembling. They are fearful, and I am telling you, it is not written, but you can be absolutely sure. Every Israelite was praying. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, please, bachavo, bachavo. That is all prayer. And I am sure everybody, even King Saul, was praying. And he is a merciful God. So what does he do? He answers their prayer. Next verse. Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers and Ephah of this dried grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. Jesse, God put this thought in his, this man's heart. And he called his younger son David and said, David, take all this stuff and go to that battlefield and see how your brothers are doing. God had answered their prayer. The answer is a young boy carrying a load of food for his brothers. And he came on the 40th day. The answer was staring right in their face. Nobody recognized the answer to their prayer. Because the answer did not fit in with their pattern of thinking. It didn't fit in with their pattern of thinking, because if you are, if this eight-foot-old champion has to be fought, it has to be at least seven feet five inch, or at least six five, and must be a warrior from his youth. The answer, you see, we have preconceived ideas. You sometimes that's the whole problem. People this side and that side, young. Ladies and young gentlemen will pray, Lord, give me a man after my own heart. The man is staring in your face. But you don't see him. Why? Because in your mind, there is a combination of Shah Rukh Khan, Amir Khan, and all these Khans put together. You it, give it a Christian label. You take the Khan off and give it a Christian label. And in your mind, you are looking, when is my prince charming coming? Prince, God says, is standing before you. We have all these preconceived ideas. And we often go through life without recognizing the answers to our prayers. God has answered their prayer. But they are not able to see the answer. Look at 17th. The next verse, yeah. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, Why did you come down here? Who is this? His brother. His brother is not able to see God's answer in his brother. And instead of getting encouraged, he's angry. Do you get angry when you see certain answers to prayers? (laughs) Look at the king. Yeah, next verse. 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he's a man of war from his youth. The king looks at God's answer and says, oh you, you can't fight that fellow. You are a small boy. And that man has been a warrior from the time he was a small boy. You go through the pages of the Bible and you will see this often reflected. Man prays, God answers, but we are not able to see the answer of God because we have a preconceived worldly educated way that this is the way my answer should come. The answer stares in our face, stands before us, and after some time it departs from our face. And you say, Lord, why didn't you answer? God said, I did. I did. You didn't receive my answer. Everybody goes through this. But... Even Mary went through that. Gabriel um, comes and says, most blessed of this thing and all. She says, how is it possible? She's thinking rationally, scientifically. How is it possible? I have not, not man. But then she says, but let it be according to your word. She says, I will not let my scientific mentality stop or let it go above God's word. I don't have to understand how God works, but I can just surrender to the work of God in my life, even if I don't understand. Meaning, I understand God is the God of science also. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, the people are crying and praying. It happened in the process of the time. The king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They cried out and the cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and with Jacob. What does it mean? Children of crying, crying, Lord deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. God said, I heard your cry. I heard your prayer. I'm answering your prayer. But, the problem is, his answer was two old men with a stick. And that answer did not fit in with their assumptions how God would answer their prayer. You are slaves of the most powerful nation on earth. Tens and thousands of soldiers, iron chariots, Okay, you're talking about North Korea. 200,000 believers in labor camps and an army of 10 million people, soldiers and tanks and everything. And God is sending two men to Kim Song. Set my people free. And he said, Lord, you prayed and you sent this? Is this your answer? That's our problem. And later when he goes over there, remember the only reason first they believed Moses' words was only because of signs. Listen to what scripture says. Moses and Aaron went gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. Why did the people believe? Because they saw signs. And God understands that. He said, these are a people who have no faith at all. no faith at all. But they are my people. They have no faith. But I love them. They cried, I answered. And they are looking at the answer, they are not able to believe in the answer. Because they see in the power of Pharaoh. So let them me show them a little of my power so that they may believe in me. The sign they saw was a display, a tiny display of God's power and they bowed down and they believed. That's what signs are for. Signs are initially for those who are very weak in faith. Or have no faith. That's why Mark 16 and verse 20 says the final word in the gospel. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through their accompanying signs. He knows when the gospel is going out, nobody's going to believe. So he gave them signs so that they started Believing because they saw. Oh, look at the sign! <gasps> Therefore, what Peter says is true. What James says is true. John says it. They started believing in the message because of the signs. Same thing happened there. They believed in the message Moses brought because of the signs. But the problem is this: if you believed every time when there is a sign, then you are walking by sight. And not by faith. If you only believed every time because there was a sign which is visible, that means you are walking by sight and not by faith. So what happened to the church and the world? The world is full of scientific people. The church is full of scientific people. Sign. In between faith got lost. There science, here science. Only difference is the spelling. You know the problem with science and science alone? Our thinking may not change at all. Only our feelings have been touched. In your emotions, you are a believer, but in your mind, you are scientific. You're still thinking the same ways. And so every time, unless God manifests his power, you won't believe. And because you won't believe, you won't follow. And it is a power play. That's what happens in religions. It's a power play. Why does in India we have over a crore, not people, gods? It's power play. It's real. Those gods are real. They are not unreal gods, they are real. It's a power play. If you look at which god has the maximum number of players, you need to realize that deity displays more power than the others. It's power play. That is why in all ancient nations, including India, when two kingdoms clashed and one kingdom won over the other thing, they didn't go, they went into the other fellow's temples and took his gods also and brought him and put him in his temple because they knew this is a power play. That is what happened at the Philistines. They took the ark of God's covenant and put it in their temple. Because more the power the better. None of them are walking by faith. Every religious person is walking by sight. In power. And we cannot reduce Christianity to that. It's a walk of faith. Because when you come to science alone. Your mind is not changed. If your mind is not changing. You do not understand the righteousness and the holiness of God. The very purpose for which he saved you. Why he saved you. and We don't understand that. We can go through all the signs in the book and end up in hell. Because our thinking never changed. Understand that. Because the demonic is all power play. This is what the Pharaoh says. Exodus 5, 1 and 2. They went out to the Pharaoh, they spoke to the Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and told the Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who? Who is this throne? That I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. He's used to power. Not just his power, he's used to the power of his gods. He says, you too? Are you the representatives of your God? You guys telling me to let these people go? I don't know your God. I don't know your God. And you know what? They asked for a three-day break. He said, all play, no work. Oh, you want to take a three-day break? He called his leaders and said, give them more work. And this time, tell them to make brick without straw what he does, he doesn't focus on the leaders. He focuses on the congregation to make the life of the leaders miserable. That's what he does. He says, leave Moses and Aaron alone. Get the people. Verses 14 to 21 is interesting. Also, the officers of the children of Israel whom Pharaoh's task matters had set over them were beaten. They were? There is this 600,000 men, let us think, and over each group there is a leader. These leaders were called and they were beaten. And were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to the Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants and they say to us, make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Why do you want to go worship, worship service all the time? That means you have no work to do. No work to do. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw they were in trouble after it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota." What happens? Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look down, look on you and judge. Because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hands to kill us. What happened to all their faith? Everything went away. Everything is gone. They have turned off because their mind never changed. And they said, you know what, you guys are actually here to kill us, to get us killed. You're not here for us. Even Moses was not able to understand the ways of God because he is also a new believer. So look at what Moses says. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Why is that you have sent to me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to these people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Did you see? You know the problem was when Moses went he thought, I will go to the Pharaoh, I will stand before the Pharaoh I have been given a stick and I will tell the Pharaoh, the Lord God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh will say, okay Moses, take your people and go. That's what Moses thought. That Moses first ministry is still continuing. You name it, claim it, grab it. But it doesn't work like that. If you name it and claim it and grab it, where does character come from? Where does the righteousness of God come from? How will we ever know what God is? What kind of a person is it? Listen to God's response very carefully in Exodus 6 verses 1 to 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. The Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage to which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. We read that and we feel so good. But do you know what actually God is saying? God is saying, when you prayed and now that I am answering, you thought this was about you. This is not about you. This is about me. This is about me. This is about my name. This is about my honor. This is about my righteousness. This is about my kingdom. It is not about you. That is our issue. When we pray prayers and the answer doesn't happen when we want it or how we want it, we get so upset and disturbed and disappointed and discouraged because we think this is about us. This is not about us. This is about Him. You see in our emotions we are very excited about God. But in our thinking, in our thinking, we have replaced theology, which is the knowledge of God, with humanism, which is the knowledge of man. In our mind, we are who? Humanists. We are not theologians. That's how we think. That's how they all thought. That's where we get disappointed. And all our disappointments, actually, I'm talking about as believers. I'm not talking about the religious and the atheists. All our disappointments are connected with that. And life can be full of God-ordained disappointments. God-ordained disappointments. Listen carefully now, okay? Listen carefully now. One thing which you must realize. If you are not expecting anything, you cannot be disappointed. Some people, some students, when their results come, they are never disappointed. They had no expectations. You cannot experience disappointment without expectation. And the more the expectation, the more the disappointment. And therefore, listen carefully again, the disappointment we face as believers is far, far greater Than the disappointments the unbeliever faces because the hope we have is much greater than theirs. Understand that. Our disappointment is much greater than an unbeliever's disappointment. Because at the end the unbeliever's expectation is temporal. Our actual expectations are much more. Lord, set me free. Take me out of this bondage of Egypt. God says, "With mighty judgments, I will set you free." And I, He doesn't stop there. We thought we pray, "Lord, set me free." He says, "No, I want to set you free. I will take you to the land flowing with milk and honey." And I will give you cities which you did not build. I will give you houses which you did not build. I will give you gold and silver which you did not work for. I will give you wealth which you did not... De- Lord, are you serious? I only ask to be delivered from this situation. Lord, deliver me from the bondage of sin, Lord, please. God says with a mighty hand I will deliver you. Not only that, you who receive my deliverance shall be my son and my daughter. You walk by faith. I promise you, one day you shall sit on my throne as my son sat on the throne and you shall reign for eternity. Lord, are you serious? Do you see our expectations compared to the expectations of the world? Therefore, God will definitely allow us to be disappointed in our earthly expectations so that He can frame in us a character that is fits in with eternal expectations. Otherwise, character cannot be built. It cannot. It never can be built. So you have to fight it by faith. You have to, what you have to fight is your disappointment from becoming Discouragement, they are not the same. Okay, you're learning a lot of new things today. Young children, write it down, okay? Write it down, write it down. Because you may not hear it anywhere else. Disappointment is when your expectations are not met. Discouragement is when you fail to expect anything else. Disappointments is when your expectation is not met. You're disappointed, but you still have expectations, something else will come. But discouragement is when you expect nothing. So you will see, you go through the entire record of the first generation. Every time they were so discouraged, all they thought was death. All they thought was death. They're not just disappointed. Disappointed. They are so discouraged, they have no expectations. In Exodus 5 verse 20, they will say, uh, you can go to the next one, 14 verses 10 and 11. The final one. Yeah, Exodus. Uh, Is it Exodus? Did I give it to you? It's numbers, right? Yes, Exodus. This is when they are out of Egypt. When Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, behold... The Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves. So to be disappointed is okay. You cannot work with discouraged people. It's almost impossible to work with discouraged people. Because every obstacle they see, they only see death there. They don't see life. You need to realize why God allowed that generation to die in that desert. Because that is all they expected. Every time they opened their mouth, they said, we are going to die. And God said, okay, finally die. If that's all you expect, that's all you get. I did not bring you out to die. I brought you out to give you life. But your minds are so enslaved by the captivity of Egypt. Every time you see an obstacle, all you see is death. 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 In 16 verse 3, Egypt is gone, Pharaoh is gone, army is gone, three days into the desert, children of Israel said to them, oh that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Why now? When we sat by the pots of meat and we ate no, ate bread to the full, suddenly they are hungry. Three days fasting, they want to die. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know what's happening? The emotions are occasionally touched by the signs. The mind is never changing. Never changing. And when our mind doesn't change, we are on a pathway to death. Because God said, I have said before you life and death. Blessings and curses, you choose because our mind is not changing. Once in a week on a Sunday or Wednesday, you get excited by the word or by the worship. You're not choosing life. Choosing life is a pattern. And every time when an obstacle comes is when you really know what you are choosing. And every time through their thinking, they're actually choosing death. That's why God says, if you walk by sight, you will die. You will die. Because well, that is a road that leads to death. If you walk by faith, you will live. Because that's the road that leads to life. Let's look at the next one. Sixteen. Yeah. Behold. Okay. Now, numbers fourteen. Then all oh, this is the tenth one. Okay. In between, I took off the other seven. All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, "If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this." Ah, now they added one more. By the time they came that far, they realized, God is not going to let us die in Egypt. He's not going to take us back to Egypt and lie. there. So they added a new sub-clause. What is that? If only we died in the wilderness. God said, so it be. At least in one thing. You understood my mind. I'm not going to let you die in Egypt. The second thing, I had not planned it. That's what he says. He looks at all humanity and says, understand this. Hell was not made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels. But if you choose to go with him, you're welcome. But I'm telling you straight up, you were not meant to die there or meant to die here. You're meant to possess the promised land. But if this is what you choose, that is where you go. Discouragement is a choice. Faith is a choice. Joshua and Caleb also saw the same giants, the same fortified cities. And I'm sure they too were disappointed. They too were. See, nobody wants to fight a giant. God said, I'm giving you this land and towns you, which you did not build and wells and this thing. And Joshua also thought, okay, we will have to fight. Let us, Lord, I pray the guys are smaller than me. Then he goes in there and says, boy, they are giants. He was disappointed, but he was not discouraged. He was not discouraged. I'm sure they are disappointed. Okay. I failed one exam, but that's not the end of my life i can write again oh i quit studies i'm not going to study anymore no no einstein how many times this one 800 times 900 he, he said those were in 800 failures he said there were 800 steps to success edison 800 900 We say failures before he discovered, invented the electric bulb. He said, who told you failures? 900 steps to success. Okay, I had to take 900 steps. But what discouragement does is, discouragement gives up after the first step. Lord of God's people just give up. Faith is a choice. Fate is a choice. Discouragement is a choice. All of us will be disappointed in life. But don't get give up because you are disappointed. Don't give up because you are disappointed. Just because you failed an exam, just because one company said leave and quit, don't give up. You'll say, I'm going to fight it even more next time. I'm not going to give up. Why? Because unlike the unbeliever, I have God. I have the promises of God. And I walk by faith. And when I walk by faith, I understand the knowledge of God. I understand my God. I know who is. Yes, I goofed up. Now, don't go rationalize and say, who doesn't goof up? That's not what God wants to hear. God doesn't want to hear, who doesn't goof up? You know? God wants to hear, Lord, I goofed up. God says, I know that. Are you, are you willing to accept? Yes, Lord. Can I have another chance? He says, what one chance? I'll give you as many chances as you want. Do you know me? Yes, Lord. I think I know you. That's the difference. The people in the Bible who are called overcomers are not people who did not have disappointments. These are the people who by faith fought discouragement every day of their life. And God will look at this generation and says, you know what? You were discouraged and you died. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. Sorry, 30 and verses 3 to 6. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and his men, yeah, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until had they no power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinom and Jezreelite, Abigail, the widow of Nabal, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. Now let us look at the background of this story. You know the background? Sixteen months in darkness in the Philistine camp. At the end of the Philistine camp... The king wants David and his 600 men to fight along with him. The leaders of Philistines says, no, you cannot bring him. So the king said, David, go. Go back. I'm sorry, I cannot take you because my leaders don't want you. Go back. And they are going back. Discouraged, disappointed, whichever you want to call it, we don't know. The king said, no, I don't want you. You can go back. And they have traveled for three days. They are tired. They are disappointed. They are tired. And when you're getting close, close, I'm sure when they're getting close, all they can see first, they see smoke. Do we see smoke? You see, when you're far away in the countryside, when you see smoke and smoke coming from the familiar houses, you'll see, wow, at least I can have a good dinner. My wife is cooking. I can rest. They get closer, they see, this doesn't look like smoke of cooking. They realize the whole city is burned out. And they are, you have to see in your mind, crazy, everyone running into his houses, tents, whatever, searching, looking, only ashes, no wife, no children, nothing, everything gone. They cried, they wept. Why are they weeping like this? Because of the past, even this piling of 16 months with no God, no fellowship, no worship, no hearing the word of God, nothing, nothing. Living in the world, living in the Philistine camp, compromised on everything they know is true. They're actually down in the dumps already. Then the king said, go. Three days walk and then you come over here. And then the one who should be most discouraged and depressed is David. Because at that hour, the men were talking about stoning David, their leader. That's what scripture says. For the people speak. Of stoning him. We don't know what happened. Probably a few of his loyal ones. And came and said. David sir king. I don't know what they called him. Lord I think we need to get you out of this place. You have seen in movies right. Always in the western movies. One shot the first thing the secret service does. They cover the president. And take him out of every hall. Because they have to protect him with their lives. So some of them came and must have told king lord. We need to take you out. Because they are thinking about killing you. It should be the the darkest moment in his life. But scripture says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Faith and encouragement is a choice. It is based on the knowledge of God, which is above all your scientific, logical reasoning. Because if you're logical reasoning, because see the, the prodigal son sitting in the pig pen was logically reason. Okay, my father gave me this. I went out and messed it up, made a fool out of my father. Okay, uh, logically thinking, if I go back, I cannot go back. He probably will chase me or let the dogs loose. But that's not what he's logically thinking. He's thinking in his heart. You know, at the end of the day, you know what? My father loves me. My father loves me. That's what David is thinking. I goofed up. I did it all. But I know something about my God. My God is merciful. My God is merciful. And if God is merciful, He will forgive me. First, He will forgive me. If God forgives me, I also know He's the Father. If he forgives me, he says, okay, I have forgiven you, but don't come to me again. He won't say that. The prodigal son thinks, okay, I will go. He Inside he knows his father, but he says, okay, I will go and tell him, can I be like a servant? Father, he says, oh yes, tomorrow onwards you shall be my servant. And you need to realize unbelieving parents do that. They have done it. I know personally people in my life who have met, who way from Hindu background, and when the son said, "I believe," the father said, "From today, you are a servant, and that's what you will do." It disinherited. I know people in our own churches here in Hyderabad who have married and gone. When the daughter got uh, said, "I'm believer," the father came and made her sign in paper saying that no inheritance for you. They do that. So that logical thinking is there. But God doesn't think that way. God doesn't think that way. He knows. Okay. Then he can say, okay, we are only 600 men. We are only 600 men. We're 600 men and that too, tired men. Not only tired men, depressed men. What are we going to do with 600 men against an army of Amalekites? He's not thinking any of those things. He's thinking in faith. If God forgives me, God will speak to me. If God speaks to me, I have an answer. All I have to do is do what God says. So the next shout from his mouth is, Abhiater! Bring the effort. Lord, what do you want me to do? It's like the prodigal son's father running towards the prodigal son. You have to the speed which God's answer came. Pursue! Overtake! And recover! His so whole life changed. Right? That's one of the fundamental differences between man and God. If you're going to think about God according to how man has dealt with us, our faith will falter. You have to look at God how he has dealt with man. Dealt with man. You have to look at that. You look through this and see what touches God's heart. Jonah said, I know you. That's why I sold you. I did not want to go to Nineveh. I know you. You thought I was excited when I said, you said, go to Nineveh. I give you one mess, 40 days and you shall be no more. In the beginning, Jonah must have been a little excited, but then he was thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if I speak, they believe and they repent. Knowing him, he will show mercy. You know what? I don't want to show any mercy to those people. I'm not going. See, Jonah knew his God very well. Very well. David will say in his Psalms, Where can I hide from you? Even if I go to hell and make a bed over there, you will see me. Jonah experiences from the belly of the whale from the bottom of the this thing. He cried and God answered him and took him out. He knew his God very well. Very well he knew his God. Are you getting it? As I close. One final verse. Why we need to know God. Why in this journey, faith of journey is not the things we do. In this journey of faith is actually we getting to know the person of God. And if that doesn't happen, this journey is in vain. The whole purpose of this journey is so that we get to know the person of God. Romans 4 verses 20 to 22. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I don't know whether it's true about you. It's true about me. And I'm not talking about physical measurements. But actually speaking. My mouth is bigger than my hand. Because often I say stuff which I can't do. That's why sometimes we have to eat our words. It's an English phrase. You have to eat your words. Because our mouth is often bigger than our... let me introduce you to somebody. His mouth is not bigger than his hand. What he says, he does. What he says, he does. And you can be absolutely sure. If God says something, he's well able to do it. He never says anything which he's not able to do. That is where our faith comes from. Faith comes from? Hearing and hearing. That's what he's talking about. Abraham looked at himself. He looked at Sarah. He looked at everything. Then he said, you know what? God's mouth and his hand, they work together. His mouth is not bigger than his hand. If he said something, I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm not going to any more rationally, scientifically, logically try to work it out. I'm just going to believe it. And I want to believe God is going to work it out. Put it all together tonight. And understand what disappointment is, what discouragement is. What is faith and what are the different ways in which we can think we have faith. But actually we are very scientifically, logically minded. And we think we are walking with God when... We're emotionally touched occasionally by God. The rest of the time, we are actually walking with the world. It's a very dangerous place to walk because this world is under wrath, under judgment. Man, shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just come to you, Father. And I pray, Father, for every one of us here in your room, in this house. Our disappointments. Will not lead to discouragement. Every disappointment. I will lead to an appointment with God. We'll see that as your appointments. Those are the places. Where we will. Meet you. Where we will know you. As you told Israel. I reveal myself to your father Abraham Isaac and Jacob as. Mighty God. But to you. I'm going to reveal myself as the Lord. The children of Israel thought God had forgotten them. But God was going to reveal himself to them in ways he had never revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And for that they had to be disappointed first. And I pray we will see Lord in our disappointments. There is an appointment with the living God. To know him in a way we have never experienced him before. And not to be discouraged. But by faith. Believe. that The one who promised is faithful. And to wait. And to stand. And to change the way we think. That we know. Our God. For your word says. They who know their God. those who know their God, only they can do great exploits. And this walk of faith is for us to know you, Father. For you have promised in the new covenant from the youngest to the oldest, they shall know me. And I pray in this journey, we will know you better and better as each day passes. Next time we gather here, the seventh month will be here. And I pray in this sixth month, We have known you a little more, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. You brought us safely into your house. Now as we go, I speak your peace and your presence into every life. Reach us all into our destination safely, Lord. And teach us to walk with you each day. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.